Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you too, Joe. Welcome home. So glad you're here. Uh, it's time for Children's Church. Uh, so if you want to scoot, scoot. Hey, guys, make sure you come join us for the baptism because it's lots of fun. And it's great, great blessing. So um, somebody will go upstairs and let you know we're ready for that in about three, four hours or so. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Lighten up. Little grace. Little grace here. Come on. All right. Um, we are here to enjoy and celebrate Jesus Christ. That's, you know, that's what we talk about worship. You know, so if you go through life enjoying and celebrating Jesus Christ, that's what you're doing. You're worshiping. Okay. Um, Revelation chapter 14 is where we're going to be. We're in our study going through that book called Live Ready. So as you're turning there to chapter 14, I've got a couple of announcements before we dive in. First of all, uh, I'd ask your continued prayers for Judy Mogul. She is our friend and our sister, and she is in search of a compatible, a compatible kidney. And um, some of you are being tested uh, for that, uh, and we pray for her because she is part of the body of Christ. If one of us is hurting, all of us are, are involved and are hurting. So um, our body needs a kidney. And if you've got one you're not using and you'd like to have it tested, talk to Marlene. Uh, the information was in the newsletter. Please pray for Judy. Jamie and AJ Cattles had a baby, had a baby boy. Mostly Jamie had a baby. Um, but now it belongs to both of them. You know how that works. Uh, so be in prayer for them. My understanding is uh, everything's great. And uh, we're waiting on a name. Uh, it probably exists. I just don't know it. So what, Tucker? All right. All right. Tucker Jason. Chase. Okay, Chase. Not Tom. It's not. Uh, all right, just let's take a second. I'm dealing with that. I'm processing that. Okay, Tuesday night. I'm kidding. I do that. Tuesday night, Belugas versus the Bolts. Bethany versus Bethany. It's a very loving clash on the field. Here's what's. We play at 6.30. Here's what's different about this week. Um, last time we, we hauled out the, the grill and we made like hundreds of hot dogs. This time, in the same theme, we're having an ice cream social thanks to the Pierces. These are the Pierces, Josh and Amanda and their lovely, yeah, children. So if you play, if you watch, if you just want to come, everybody everybody is is welcome to come. Ice cream social at the Pierce's. So it's after the 6.30 game. So I'm guessing like 7.45, probably closer to 8 by the time everybody gets over there. It's right in that neighborhood. We have a sign-up sheet. It's right here. Time for your, put your name, put all the, all the lovely things you're going to be bringing. Um, there are two parts to this event, ice cream and social. And I know what you're saying, Tom, you're not supposed to eat ice cream. I know this. I know this. But it's a ministry. And two parts, ice cream, social. If I don't eat ice cream, it's just as bad as if I went and I was antisocial. And I won't do that to you. So I'm ready to take one for the team. So as this goes around, got a place for your name. You check off. Because here's the deal. The pierces are going to do like the bowls and the spoons and the napkins. You're not getting off that easy. You got to bring the good stuff. 
So you check off if you want to bring ice cream, whipped cream, chocolate sauce, cones, sprinkles, chopped nuts, or pieces of crushed bacon that we put over the top. Look, I'm just reading the form. I'm just reading the form. I don't want that. Who's bringing it? Are you bringing it? Yeah, okay. All right, so it's right here. Come sign up. There's also another sign-up sheet on the table as you go out. If you can't afford it, you come. You come anyway. You come empty-handed. You leave with a full tummy and a full heart, okay? That's not what we're about. But if you can, don't buy the ice cream before the game, okay? Don't do that. You go pick it up and then bring it. Okay. Good luck. Evening of August 26th, we're going to do praise and prayer in the park with other local churches. You've got plenty of time. You'll be hearing more about that as it comes. Okay, I would like to pray um, naturally on everybody's mind this week are the horrible killings in, in the Aurora movie theater. And I'd, I'd just like for us to take a time uh, now to pray, Lord. Um. We come before you with uh, a lot of grief, um, a lot of fear, um, a lot of apprehension and uh, regret. Um, Lord, our hearts go out to um, the families of those who lost their lives. Lord, we ask that you would provide great comfort and great peace and great love for those who are in the theater um, who... Lord, had such a heart, horrific time. Lord, we, we pray for them. Lord, for the, the police and the emergency and the medical teams that have been serving. Lord, that you do what you do and only you can do. Um, that you would take something so ugly and so brutal and so evil and that you would raise up good from it. Um, you have done that in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would do that here and that you would point all hearts and all eyes to you as hope. Lord, we pray for the soul of, of the young man who, who did this. You saved the apostle Paul um, who killed Christians before you called them to yourself. Lord, um, no one is beyond your grace. Lord, um, save him. Save him. Save us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to spend a little, little bit of time on that because I've been thinking a lot about it. It's just so, I mean, who's, who's been just like thinking about that this week? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's natural. What's it with Colorado? What are we doing? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but when something senseless like this happens, it's not, um, it's not uncommon. And you, if you're on Facebook, you might have seen that, that there, there's a buzz going around about where do you, given this, do you still believe that, that God is good? As, as if Jesus was that psycho dude in the gas mask, in the body armor, with clips of ammo blowing up the place. 
So, really? Is God still good? Where was Jesus in all of this? Well, he was with the people who were dying. Um, He was with the people who were escaping. He was with the families of those who would soon get um, news that their loved ones weren't coming home. Um, I I know that that's where Jesus um, where Jesus was, um, and singing, saying to to all of us in the Scripture and and in the Spirit, hang on. I agree. This should not be. I am about to step in and put an end to this forever and ever. All evil, all destruction, all hate, all all senseless violence. I'm going to put an end to it. But as we looked at chapter 13 last week, it's not quite yet. And it's likely to get worse. A lot worse. A lot worse. Um, But he is always better. That's what we studied last week. We were in um, the height of the darkness of this time in this passage in in the end times. We studied the mark of the beast, 666. We studied the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet and their great deception over the world and their seduction of our hearts and um, how they will demand worship. Um, And all who do not worship will be slaughtered. Slaughtered. And so we see some, some parallels to the horrific nature of what what happened this week and and what scripture points to and and beyond that they said whoever god's word said whoever did not receive the mark of the beast on their right hand or their forehead would not be allowed to buy or sell or or live or you know and the question we asked if you if you were here um was what bothers you more what bothers you more that you might not be allowed to buy or sell or eat or breathe or live or that you might not be allowed to worship Jesus Christ. What bothers you more? That is the bottom line question. And in that, in both of these things, in Revelation chapter 13 and in the awful scene in the movie theater. Jesus stands up and says, this is not going to go on forever. Evil may win a battle, but I win the war. Jesus always wins. We said it last week. Say it again. Jesus always wins. Absolutely. We're going to see it we're going to see it in times as dark as that, at times as dark as, as what happened in Aurora, in times as dark as the end times, in times as dark as whatever you might be going through. Jesus stands up and, and says, I always win. That's where we have the glory of chapter 14 because of the awfulness and horror of chapter 13 and because of the events that took place. So let's go. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. 
John writes this, then I looked and behold, which means not only me. I don't want to look. I, I, I don't just want to look. I want you to look. Okay. He wants us to look and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb stood. Okay. Who's, who's he talking about here? Who's, yes. All right. All right, way to go. Yes, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, Jesus, and with him, the 144,000. We met them in uh, Revelation chapter 7 when they received what? The mark of God, the mark of Jesus, then his Father's name on their foreheads, right? They were marked then. If you want to check out the podcast, do that. It's called Tatted for Jesus. Very important. Okay, he saw with them the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, this is important. This is Jesus standing up and saying, though evil may win a battle in history, in your life, in Aurora, I win the war. He is standing. He is standing. The gospel is more powerful than evil. Jesus is more powerful than evil. The resurrection is more powerful than death. We need to really own that, not just intellectually, but deeply in our hearts so that we can live in that reality without fear of man issues, without fear of safety issues, without fear of mockery issues. God, Jesus, the gospel is more powerful and everlasting than every threat that will ever come against you. It's as if Jesus is standing on the mountaintop pulling a Dikembe Mutombo. Uh uh uh. You ever seen snacks at the, at the Western Games? He blocks the shot. Mm-mm-mm. Not in my house. No, that ain't happening. I am coming back. I am coming to make this stop. Do you understand that the people who were martyred a couple of sentences ago? are standing with Jesus on the mountaintop, on the mountaintop. This is victory. This is victory. This is victory for you. It's like, okay, um, it's like every cheesy horror film that has ever been made, right? But they, they always reserve this resurrection power for, for the bad guys, don't they? You know what I'm talking about? Michael Myers in Halloween, Freddy Krueger, Friday the 13th, um, Jason in, in what's that thing? Um, uh, oh, Nightmare. He's Friday the 13th. I get him mixed up. But you know what happens, right? The bad guy always gets it in the end, right? He, he gets it, right? And it doesn't matter how they die. He falls off, and it's always a guy, isn't it? Right? Right? He falls off a 20-foot roof or 20-story roof onto a three-foot spike in a, in, a, in a fence. And he rolls off the spike into a chipper shredder. And then he, the chipper shredder shoots his pieces parts into a, a furnace or something. And all the pieces parts are burning. And the last scene is always the same, isn't it? Like the Harrod teens or the family, they're walking home comforting each other because it's all over it ain't over because that's when you hear the music in the back because the burning pieces parts are coming back together right why because he's coming back 
so they can make Friday the 13th number 238. And you'll buy a ticket. I know you will. They always reserve it for the bad guys. That is a complete ripoff of Scripture. Why? Because no matter how these people were martyred in chapter 13, no matter how we go down, whether it's in a movie theater, whether it's chopped up in a chip or shredder, no matter what you got, Jesus puts it back together. And the next the next breath, they are standing with him on Mount Zion, standing with the lamb, and he appears as a lamb, right? Why? Because he's among friends. He's among friends. He's going to come back as the lion of Judah, but, but he appears as a lamb now because he's among friends. And who was ever afraid of a lamb? Lamb. Lamb comes in. You don't run screaming. No, you run to the lamb. You embrace the lamb. The lamb is gentle and humble of heart. He has never-ending grace. He has never-ending grace. His grace is so abundant that it will, his blood will cleanse you regardless of how deep and how ugly and how long your stain has been there. You come to him and you plead with him and you repent of You don't even need to plead. He's so willing to give. Why would you not come to the Lamb of God? Why would you not come? And it seems like a foolish question to some of you, and it's, I, I, I wish it was. I, I wish it was, but it, it's not because some of you, although this is what is on the table for you this morning and forevermore, this coming to the Lamb to have life and forgiveness and freedom and joy, you will walk out of here without it. You will walk out of here without him and then come back maybe several weeks and you'll do it again. Come to the lamb. Come to the lamb and live. This I want you to see is the love of Jesus Christ. This is his mercy. This is his promise. This is his gospel. This is his power. And every single one of us, regardless of whether we go see Batman, whatever, in Aurora or not, or face cancer or not, nobody's getting out of here alive. Well, that's not exactly true, as we're going to see soon. But mostly, mostly. And this is saying that this life is not what it's all about. This life is not what it's all about. That life is what it's all about. How would we live if we really, I mean, really bought into this? That in Jesus Christ, that in his love, that in his provision, that in his life, we can't be killed. We can't truly die because as soon as I take my last breath here, I take my first breath with the lamb, with Jesus in power, in his glory, in his presence. If we really believe that, what would we risk? How, how bold would we be? Because truth be told, most of us, I don't want to say the name of Jesus. People might look at me funny. 
look at you, funny. Really? They were giving up their lives. Jesus is my, it's like, I couldn't imagine saying I don't love Cherie out in public. How we can, we're embarrassed at Jesus. How would we live if we really, really believe that that life is what matters and love people enough to talk to them about him? Okay, why is he standing on this particular piece of real estate? Why Mount Zion? Well, Mount Zion to the Jews and throughout Scripture is a type or a symbol of heaven, a place of God's power, a place of God's love, a place of his majesty and reign. Okay, so to the Jews who would have seen this, Mount Zion is symbolic of heaven, symbolic of heaven. And this is a mountain that everybody wants to be on symbolically. Do we have any mountain climbers here? Anybody gone up a 14er? Nobody? Yeah, lots of them. Lots of them. Wow. Mount Zion, in this sense, in this sense, is not a 14er. It's not a mountain that you can train yourself to climb, that you can get acclimated and strong enough to get up to the top. You understand this, right? It's not even like K2 or Everest. You ain't getting up there. It's, it's so far away. That's why I'm so unworthy and still you love me, right? We can't make it. We can't make it on our own. Ain't nobody getting up that mountain unless Jesus carries us. But we got millions of people in churches and not in churches who are saying stuff like, I don't know. I got a pretty good vertical leap. I think I can dunk. I got a pair of Air Jordans. I think I'm going to jump to Mars. Really? As stupid as that sounds. No, because some of you were thinking, I I bet he could do it. I bet he could do it. (laughs) As stupid as that sounds, it is more feasible for you and I to do that than to think we're getting to the top of that mountain without Jesus carrying us. Our religious efforts, our faithfulness, it's all him. It's all him. Question is, will you and I let us, let him carry us there? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. See, I was at this event on Wednesday night. Um, it was a grant recipient thing. I, some of you may have been there. And there was a young lady who said, she was praising the people of the Gunnison Valley. She said, I've just never been to a place that is more self-actualized. And she went on to explain by what she meant, right? What she meant by this was we in the Gunnison Valley are self-actualized because we see a need and we don't wait for somebody else to do it. We do it ourselves. We take the bull by the horns. We lift ourselves. We're going to do it. And I thought about it and I think, yeah, yeah, she's right. And that's probably a good thing. It's a good thing when we're, when we're talking about things like feeding the hungry or comforting the hurting or loving the unlovable or the unlovely. But it's spiritual suicide. That kind of independence. I can do it. Because the only thing you and I can do spiritually is see the need that we have. 
and run to Jesus and say, I can't do that. I need a savior. But too often, that independent spirit says, this is what you want? I could do that. I keep the rules better than anybody. I can keep them. If you grade on the curve, I'm there. Nope. Nobody's getting up there unless Jesus carries us. And that dependence is what we're called to. I want you to see how this scene in Revelation is, is talked about millennia before, okay? In Isaiah chapter 40. We'll start in verse 1. It says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. This is comfort. is one of the two major themes of what we're looking at. It's comfort. He's comforting us in the time of great tragedy, of, of the appearance of, of evil taking, taking root and taking force in our lives, in our theaters, in, in the wars, in everything. Right? Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. The battle is over. The wars, her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lamb's hand double for her sins. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean double accusation, double punishment, double condemnation? No, that's not our God. Just the opposite. In Jesus Christ, double pardon, double mercy, double forgiveness, double reward, double inheritance for all the things that we've done that have broken his heart, for all the things done to us. That, 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 that others have, have sinned against us and against him. Double. And I want you to see in this the gospel. I want you to see in this the voice of John the Baptist. I want you to see in this God, Jesus Christ, God with skin on coming for us, the rescue. I want you to see the gospel. Um, here we have a shift in theme uh, from comfort to a victory celebration. I want you to listen closely. The victory celebration for Jesus' rescue mission, okay? Now, listen closely because some of us are prone to get this wrong and be lost because of it, okay? I want you to see that in verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This was the cry of John the Baptist as Jesus comes. And in the wilderness of our sin, our self-made wilderness, right? Jesus comes on a rescue mission and blazes a trail through the wilderness, not so that we can walk out, but he comes and enters into our self-imposed, self-absorbed wilderness for trying to find joy and peace and life and everything but him. And he comes to where we are and lifts us out in him and rescues us there. I also, so that's the gospel. He rescues us because he, he takes all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of our wilderness building and becomes that and dies for that on the cross and rises to new life so that we can be forgiven. And, and rise to new life in him. Just as you see the gospel, just as you see the gospel that saves our souls eternally, I want you to see the gospel that saves us continually in our lives. 
because many of us are in or will head into a wilderness of circumstance. You may not be wrestling with a shooting of someone you love in, in an Aurora theater, but you may have a relationship wilderness, a financial wilderness, a marriage wilderness, a, a job, employment, school, future, you name it, wilderness, where there is no hope, where there is no apparent way out, where you are losing all faith and, and, and you're piled up in doubt, in that suffering, in that struggle, where you cannot see a way out, what this is saying is God will make a way where there seems to be no way and don't misunderstand what that means. He will make a way for your comfort, your peace, your joy, for him to come to you in that wilderness and be enough for you. We'll talk about the way to get that wrong, and I hope you don't. He's saying, lift your eyes, lift your heart, lift your face, look to me. I am making a way. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He is paving an eight-lane superhighway so that you can see him. It goes on. Every valley shall be lifted up. You may feel like you're living And walking in the valley of the shadow of death, he's not only going to lift you up, he's lifting the whole valley into his glorious light. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place is a plain. He is leveling every every stress, every struggle, everything, every worry that would exalt itself so that you can't see him. He's bringing it down. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jump down to verse nine. Get you up to a high mountain. And where is he talking about? Zion. Oh, Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. That means shout at the top of your lungs. Oh, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, says the, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Look at your God. Look at your Savior. Look at your hope. Look at your triumph. Look at your victory. It is Jesus Christ. Look, behold your God. And I say by the word of God to every one of us this morning, God is offering himself to you as enough for you in the middle of your wilderness. He will be enough. He is your freedom. He is your joy. He is your salvation. He is your hope. He is your redemption. He is your very life. And he offers this. He offers this to all of us who desperately want all of that and try to find it in everything other than him. And some of us will choose, though that is on the table, to walk out without it. Or some of us think that we're living in the delight of Jesus and the delight of the gospel when all we have is dry religion that is a burden. It's not coming out of a 
a delight in what he's done and who he is. It's coming out of a duty. Here is your God. Here is your God. He is here. And he will meet you here. Now. Believer and unbeliever, he will meet you here. And when you come face to face with the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't leave here the same. And it's not just here. He is, he is longing and pleading for you, your life to scream out, behold my God. And to live in the enjoyment and the celebration and joy of that in the midst of our wilderness. Our wilderness will become Eden if we would stop running from him and start running to him because he will meet us just like the father of the prodigal. Here's what it looks like. I'm not making it up. Behold, the Lord God comes, verse 10, with might and his arm rules for him. And that arm, he's not trying to beat you up or put you in a Nelson and give you a noogie. He has love and blessing and honor and comfort in his arms and affection for you. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. That's you. And he will carry them in his bosom. And the NIV says close to his heart. I like that better. We don't use the word bosom for men too much these days. No, no, go with me. Carry them close to his heart and gently lead those who are with young. Which one of us right now, tough guy, weak child, and everybody in between, does not need and crave to be swept up in the arms of the affectionate father, accepted and loved and blessed and protected and held close to his heart so that you can hear his heart beating with love for you, that you can see the joy and, and, and pardon and mercy and forgiveness and adoration in his eyes, that you can feel the security in his embrace, which one of us does not need that. You're a liar if you say you don't. I do. And we not need take one single breath without it. How would our lives be different? How would our lives be different if our lives were spent there? It's repentance and running away. Running. All we have to do is not run away. Run that's the only thing. We have to have our hearts broken with the fact that we haven't lived there and come running because he doesn't let us get far. He, he runs to us, right? We see that. Um, this is the part that many of you may not want to hear, but, but here it is. The tragic truth is that some of us will choose to leave here without it. Um, um, you you come to church once in a while um, and you, I don't know, maybe it feels like, you know, you've checked that box for a while and you hear about the goodness of God. You hear about the mercy of Jesus Christ. You hear about his longing to show you such incredible, 
undeserved love that it wells up in your love for him. He, he longs to lead you into life, freedom, and joy. And go, yeah, okay, someday, maybe. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow this. I got my own idea of how my life would be most enjoyable. And it's not you, okay? But I know you're, you're going to be here, and I'll check back with you in three months. Some of you will do that. And some of you church folks are nodding your head because you know people like that. Um, and I pray for you. And now I want to talk to the people who are nodding their heads. I pray for you too. And I worry. I worry about you. Because here's the situation. Um, some of you will stay mired and stuck in your present wilderness, your present struggle. Listen, this is the place where we get it wrong and are lost because of it. Some of you may stay mired in and stuck in your present struggle, your present wilderness, because the only rescue you want, the only rescue you will accept The only rescue you plead and pray for is for Jesus to step in and divinely change your circumstance. And for some of you, he is offering not to change your circumstance, but to enter into it with you and fill you in the midst of that circumstance, be it cancer, be it poverty, be it hopelessness, be it grief, be it confusion, be it depression, be it addiction, to enter that with you and in you to fill you with his spirit and hold you and love you and fill you and give you hope and even joy in the midst of that and be enough. Be enough. Be more than enough for you and you will not have it. Because your heart's desire, listen to me, your heart's desire is that he will change your circumstances. And what does this say? That your heart is out of tune. And that you love Jesus for what he can do for you rather than loving him for who he is. We want Jesus to change the circumstances of our lives more than we want Jesus to be our lives. And if we get that wrong, We are worshiping an idol of our own making and not Jesus. And that's why some of us are lost in church. Because we seek not his face, but only his hand. As an ungrateful child, who when you take away their allowance says, okay, I don't love you anymore. And that is why some of you, in the midst of your wilderness and your struggle, 
and I'm not diminishing how serious it is, are filled with frustration and bitterness and impatience rather than comfort and peace. And I'll say it, joy, which is not giddy laughter. It's just beholding your God. Anything can happen to me. Just give me Jesus. If you're waiting on him to change your circumstances, because his presence and his love is not enough, that's a subtle way of being lost. And we all need to repent. Okay, uh, I need to find my happy place. I just told you where your happy place is. It's in Jesus. Go there. That was just verse one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, I know what my wilderness is. It's Bethany. It's when that guy is up there. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder. You know, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, I love baseball, love baseball. We're going to get you out. And um, I was I was round, and I was not often picked for the stickball games in the street of my neighborhood in New York. Uh, but they they would often tell me, "You get to be the bat boy." Okay. And we had two bats, two sticks, two broomsticks, one that was long and, and cool, and everybody used it, and one that was chipped and small, and that was the one I offered everybody, and they never took it. So I went and, and made a game for myself, like off to the side. And it was a game in my head, and I was also the announcer, right? And, uh, you know, it went something like this. Uh, Sports fans, it's the bottom of the ninth. And the Yankees are down by three. That was my team. The Yankees are down by three. The bases are loaded and there's two outs. But there's a change in the lineup. Who's coming out of the dugout? Could it be? It looks like it is. Yes, it is. Tommy Bergrav is coming to the plate and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> 60,000 fans on their feet. <sighs> He's the greatest clutch power hitter of all time. <sighs> Oh, come on, you did it too. That's the roar. Stop, this is serious. That is the roar of mighty waters. That is, that's what I imagined it to be. Here's the problem. This one is real. And this one isn't for fat kid on the side of the street alone with a lousy stick. This is for the only hero that is worthy of the roar of the crowd, Jesus Christ. Is he the hero of your story? Is he the hero of your life? Or do you long to hear the roar of the crowd, the applause of men and women? I know a little bit about this. Um, I I am one of those people for whom pride is a mighty, mighty enemy that I must fight down all the time. Because you and I can want the applause with our looks, with our work, with our talents, 
on the softball field, with the accomplishments of our kids, with athletic achievement, with anything. And I fought this a lot. In college, I, I studied acting, um, and I wanted and fed off the applause and laughter of people, right? That was my food, and I overate. Um, I wanted to be famous. Some of my friends are, but I, I see what's happened to a lot of their family and their lives. God spared me from that and, and, and put me in fundraising, right? It's what I do full time. But I still had to fight that same enemy, right? Because I not only wanted to do a good job for the institution that was in my care, that I was responsible to and for, but I wanted to be known as a rainmaker. I wanted to be known as the guy who moves the numbers, who gets gifts with several commas in them. And then I got this gig, right? This calling to preach his word. You would think, you would think that that's a pure thing. It can be. Or you can still have to do battle and say, yes, Jesus, I want you glorified. Yes, Jesus, I want you happy. But I want my podcast to go viral too. I want a mega church in a town that doesn't have a mega anything. Not just for your glory, but so that somebody can know that I was worth something. My friends, I have to die to this every 30 seconds. Every 30 seconds. And maybe you do too. But Jesus is changing me. Jesus can change you to where you long for the roar of the crowd. You long for the applause, but not for yourself, for the only one who is deserving. I want fame for Jesus Christ. I want fame and applause and shouts of praise and songs to be lifted up for him. And as I die, I want it more and more. And that's what this call is. Got one more thing, one more thing, please. The voice I heard, the voice I heard, it's not just the roar of the crowd. It's like a song. It was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. They were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Really? Nobody could learn it? They're not projecting the words up? On the side of Mount Zion so everybody could sing it? No. So what is it? Well, it's not like this glee, mega rehearsal, like this angel. Okay, all 144,000, let's get going. We have to learn this song. Some of you are not learning the song. Mr. Pierce, you don't know the song. You're moving your lips, but not to the words. You think this is funny? What are you, Garth and Cat? From Weekend Update, making up a, a Thanksgiving song? This is the Bible. Got to learn it. How do you learn it? It's not that. If it's not that, what could it be? Here's what it is. This is, besides Jesus, this is my beauty. This is my joy. 
okay? We started dating when we were 16 years old. Um, Sheree was four. <laughs> no, I just say that so you won't do the math and think she's older than she is. But in that 30 years, in the 30 years of our dating and marriage, we have had some deep conversations. We have had shared experiences. We have had jokes and songs and people and images that are burned into our very lives. That becomes our love song, if you will. You can hang around with us and we can have an entire conversation without saying a word or one word, one name, one song, one anything. And some of it, well, this, this, this feeling, this look will wash over us. Maybe it's laughter, maybe it's sadness. Maybe, why? We have, we have this secret language. Do you, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you do, but only a little. What I mean by only a little is the way you understand it is in relation to relationships that you do have, but you can't really understand it. Even our closest friend, our Rachel, she gets it, she sees it sometimes, but she can't really get it. Why? Because she's not in that relationship deeply like the two of us are. We can sing that song to each other and with each other in a way that no one else can learn because they're not in that relationship. In that sense, it's exclusive. You can learn this song You can sing this song with your life if you are in that relationship with Jesus Christ. He will teach you the lyrics. He will teach you the melody. The Holy Spirit will sing it through you with your life because if you and I don't learn the song of the redeemed, While we're walking this earth, we do not sing it in eternity. And we can. We can. Can you imagine that kind of intimate inside joke? We only sing the same song, secret handshake, whatever image you want. With the God of the universe. It is on the table for you. Don't leave here without it. Um, we're, we got we, we, we to gotta move on. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, heaven is not the place to learn that song. It must be learned on the earth. You must learn here the notes of free grace and dying love. And when you have mastered their melody, you will be able to offer to the Lord the tribute of a grateful heart, even in heaven, and blend it with the harmonious The harmony is eternal. Charles Spurgeon said that. I want your life to sing. I want your life to sing in the wilderness, in the darkness. Even when the circumstances won't budge, 
because Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Lord, um, you are our hope. You are our joy. You are our rescue, our Savior, our Lord. We are tired of treating you like we are your God and requiring you to do for us. And we repent of that. And we want to run to you and say, all we want is you. All we want is you. Lord, we do not want to value your blessing more than we value your presence. Lord, we do not want to seek the applause of people or the roar of the crowd for our own glory. We want to seek it for you. We want fame for your name, for your goodness in our city, in our college, in our workplaces, and in our home. We want our lives and our hearts to sing the song of the redeemed because you sing it in us, because we're in that relationship. We want the confidence that you offer that our real life is bulletproof and that when we take our last breath here, we take it in you, standing with you because of your cross because of your resurrection, because of your mercy. We want to sing it with our lives, Lord. That's not the case for, for many of us, but that's what's on the table. Lord, I, I pray that you would not let us leave here without it. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.